You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Well, thanks for coming, everybody. Let's uh, get to work. Uh, This is about literature, and um, that's what keeps SF and SF going. There's a lot of writers in the Bay Area. Not all of them are any good. uh, Tonight we have two of them. Tonight we have two who actually are. And um, it's a great pleasure to me to host uh, this particular evening. so uh, the drill is we have uh, both of our writers going to read, then we're going to take a break, and then we will have a discussion um, about what they've read and their work in general and um, literature in general and science fiction and fantasy in particular. But without saying a whole lot, let's uh, start off. Um, our first reader is also an editor. He's also an anthologist. He's done... Uh, I think you have a new anthology out with um, with El Nello, right? Well, uh, it's about seven months old. Seven months. That's a lifetime in literature. It's probably already off the shelves. Thanks. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, he's, he's a friend and a, a compatriot of me with PM Press. And he's a writer with an agenda. I think uh, it's interesting because he has a literary as well as a political agenda. And... Um, without giving away what this book is about, I will say that the book, the theme of this book and the sort of the agenda that he attacks here is that all of modernity is apparently an epiphenomenon of the occasional wasp who stings a person instead of a spatter, and I'll let Nick Mamatas explain. I'm not going to explain that. (laughs) (laughs) But but thanks for having me. Uh, I love being here in SF and SF because... I was here a couple of years ago, you may remember, right when I first moved back here, and I read a story that I had written that day, and then that day, uh, that day published it the next day, actually, as well. And, uh, but it was great, because somebody came up to me afterward and said, oh, that was a, a fun-seeming story, but I didn't really understand a word of it, because you talk too fast. <laughs> Could you email me the story? And then I married her. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So, so it worked out. Yeah, so um, you know, if I ever need a second wife, I'll, I'll be back. Good. Great. Now you're going to email us the story tonight, I hope. Uh, no. <laughs> but I will uh, try to read more slowly. I practiced on the train, so maybe this will be better than uh, it's been in the past. Okay. Anyway, this book, uh, Sensation, is about uh, parasitic manipulation of, of human history, uh, mostly by accident, but occasionally purposefully. And it's told uh, from a sort of a uh, plural first-person narrator, uh, the this, this species of spiders. that uh, They can't read minds, but they really are close observers of humanity, and they're all over the place. And... Uh, so they're just basically telling the story of this woman who got stung by uh, their enemy wasp, who usually preys on them, but when occasionally when, they, when it stings a human being, it can lead to uh, hysterical effects. And so I'll just start reading a little bit of chapter four, uh, just to keep you uh, a little uh, confused, and a little bit of chapter five. Uh, at this point, the, uh, our main character, not our protagonist, but our main character, has been stung by the wasp and has left a little bit of graffiti on a, on a wall somewhere. <coughs> In the neighborhood, or at least in the Connect the Dots psychography of the used bookstore, the bar that opens at noon and serves savory crepes along with Pabst Blue Ribbon, 
and the thirdgeneration.com firm full of sniveling technical writers who spend their days writing instructions for wireless applications that will never exist. The newsstand where one can buy French Vogue the day after it comes out in Paris. The diner with the blueberry pecan pancakes. The L train and the F train that pull out of their stations at plus or minus five minutes of 834 or 822 respectively. Thus allowing for a quick hustle to the clicking and clicking heels across the marble lobby at 902 and an ant-desk bagel and orangina at 907, so long as the boss isn't late too and waiting by the elevator banks with a sour look on her stretched face. I just want your half. That was the graffiti. Was big news. Among the newspaper readers, and the pre-work dog walkers, and the breakfast burrito eaters, and the screeching school children, and those worried about the school system and property tax valuations and $120 barrels of oil, Julia's vandalism may well have not have occurred. And so, too, the movement that followed in the wake of the Julius graffiti emerged from the many precincts and quarters, cutting across land and time zone, but oriented toward that peculiar intersection of generations X, Y, and Z, largely white, Surprisingly impoverished in their own eyes, people for whom irony has never escaped, but who themselves can never escape irony. The sort of people who might read a novel by Don DeLillo and then decide that the term child of Godard and Coca-Cola applies to them, even though it applies to nobody. Julie was already becoming famous, though she never took credit for the graffiti. Here's how the movement started. Four friends living in Brooklyn put a video on the internet. It was mostly text, white on a black background. You can see this sort of, uh, well, you can't see this, but the two of you in the front can see that's actually, you know, white on the back like that. Hello. We think Peter needs Fishman, real estate developer, is the devil. We're going to exercise him, but we need your help. We just want your half. Then a woman appeared on screen, Elise actually, outside near the stadium, with the letters A, L, and F prominent behind her. Half the money in your pockets right now. Half the rides on your metro card. Cut to Davin, sitting in the small apartment's small kitchen, an elbow on a formica top table. Half the time you're going to spend masturbating this week. Half the drama you generate just by existing. Then he mugged for the camera and whimpered in the falsetto, so lonely. Brian Bernstein with a neat haircut and thick shoulders, a football player gone to seed, except he'd never actually ever kissed a ball. Half the time you spent being queer and here. I've already committed half the time I spent getting used to it. A man in a mask, it smiles, features pointed, features pointed brows with a sharp beard. Uh, depicting Guy Fawkes, the mask was featured in a film popular a few years ago. Half of the efforts you put into making your life better for yourself while increasing entropy and in some small way sending us all hurtling uh, that much faster to the heat death of the universe. His voice was distant sounding and muffled by the stiff plastic of the mask and the uh, tiny slit that made do as a mouth hole. Then back to black and the title cards. We're not telling you what to do, we're just telling you to do something. Then a bunch of crazy things happen, I'll just skip that because it's hard to read. And I'll go to uh, the not very interesting part of the, of the protests. Traditional pickets were deadly currents on the edges of the fishbowl. That's the, the thing that the fishman is building. As the stadium was quickly christened, eager socialists in denim jackets and all-weather scarves practiced their refrain. Want to check out a copy of Socialist Worker? While smelly men and women, all bones and knotted hair, beat white plastic drum, uh, bucket drums and prayed for an earthquake. They were opposed, in the spirit of, co of cooperation, by the sharp assistance of City Hall uh, local councilman Duane Goodwin, who was very much against the fishbowl uh, now that the handwriting was on the wall. Early experiences, the latter group were uh, class presidents in fifth grade or the children not very indulgent lawyer parents, the former, perhaps even wealthier and at least raised in the embrace of a more historical church, separated the groups but little else. Friday was, through a variety of simultaneous and independent decisions, the date of the big rally. 
The first public call was made by Leslie Marcovaldo, Columbia University sophomore and Goodwin intern, in conjunction with Blue, a mysterious to Leslie, man-child of independent, uh, indeterminate ethnicity and a self-identified so-called anarchist. It was very easy to set up a de decisive rally for the movement. We simply made it clear that some of Fishman's handlers, that the Fishman himself should hold a press conference within the football that afternoon. The protesters, would be, the protesters would be blocked from engaging with Fishman directly thanks to a massive deployment of NYPD personnel, as well as Fishman's private security. Our free speech zone two blocks away would be arranged. Then after the useless protest, Marco Valdo and the others with our sphere of influence would do their work with uh, post-protest parties and drinking circles and planning meetings. Here's how we tame political movements. We find the activist fringe of the status quo, those who will pour their energy and time into an endeavor, taking personal and organizational responsibility for it. They've got the resources, the expertise, the rhetoric that sounds very compelling. They are success. They speak of meetings in Washington, Albany, The Hague. How poor the grandparents were. They were all glove makers and steam laundry workers uh, back when the world was scratchy and sepia toned. Then we find the aspirational fringe of the subaltern, the mighty fish of the tiniest puddles, the disaffected golden child, the wired yet rumpled intellectual working far beneath her or his potential. Those who show up at every meeting take most of the risks, who will accept payment of newspaper photos and lazy smiles from younger lovers. The men and women who buy books they'll never have the time to read, who eat fried rice they make themselves because they like it. And if we can't find them, we make them. Then it's fairly easy. The members of the status quo group, with all the resources and legitimacy, make a great rush toward the target, a war or a change in legislation or uh, a change in some minority or counter-hegemonic group status, and then they pull back. They do something else. They vote for a political party. They hold a vigil with candlelights, uh, candles lighting the night. Select a few capable individuals, the majority always from the status quo faction, and have them form a committee to negotiate surrender. Remind the world that the movement exists by pointing to the members of the extreme faction and getting them on television. Remind the movement that the world exists and is full of 70 somnambulant television watchers who hate all people of color and homosexuals in the name of Jesus. And it works every time. But this movement, this movement sans nom, as it was called by Elise, who wanted to practice her French, was somewhat different. There'd be no coalitions, no committees, no media except for the hydra-headed and toad internet, and the movement hardly seemed to care at all whether all the various actions were effective. But there's going to be Friday, brilliant, glorious Friday, when all the movement would come together outside the fishbowl and be reminded of their ultimate insignificance. But yet, on Friday, here's what happened. This, uh, in addition to this we sort of uh, plural narrator, we have a lot of different uh, things in this book, blog posts, newspaper articles, Rolling Stone articles, uh, text messages, uh, police interrogation. So here's a blog uh, by, uh, from WilliamBurgess.com. For those who don't know, Williamsburg is a neighborhood in Brooklyn, which is sort of like half Mission District and half Berkeley, but the worst parts of both. <laughs> and uh, here's what a uh, witness of this Friday rally had to say. Oh, God, I saw that woman kill Fishman. He was there at the podium with his lawyers and his whore wife and the construction guys, and this girl just walked up onto the stage with a little purse and smiled, like a bird or something, landing on a statue's head. It was all heads and all bald spots and blue safety helmets, and then her wild hair and a long swirly skirt. She was pretty, or at least not a cow, and she didn't seem crazy except that she made her way under the stage. I had snuck into the whole event myself, and I only made it within 50 yards of the lip of the stage by crawling up under the scaffolding. Then she reached into her purse and pulled out a silvery gun, and Fishman's head exploded. I mean, the top of his head just flipped up and blood flew out like the battle rockets everywhere. Then she waved the gun around back and forth and the cops started shouting at her, but the stage was so crowded uh, with guys and lawyers and stage driving construction guys with feet and elbows everywhere, it was crazy. Then she just danced off, her arms flailing and the gun shining in the light. 
I mean, literally, she was dancing off stage like she was in a musical, getting her star turn finally. And all I was doing was standing there on the scaffolding, holding up my stupid banner on my lap that I'd been planning on dropping, and that girl just showed up and solved everything. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.